You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey all, it's Rick Bassman here from the wilds of Maui for a another edition of the ring and the cage stories from uh, my experiences in the worlds of professional wrestling and mixed martial arts. Uh, the one today, which uh, I affectionately refer to as Hashimoto will kill me, um, kind of crosses over from pro wrestling into mixed martial arts. There's elements of both. Uh, this is primarily a J- Japanese based story today. Um, as is this week's edition of Tall Tales, entitled, I Run a Collection on the Yakuza. So that's also going to be available at www.talking-tough.com, and we'll post about it on our social platforms as well. So Hashimoto will kill me without further ado. Uh, Back in the UPW days, we had the good fortune of being introduced to uh, Yoshiyuki Nakamura, a Japanese businessman in the pro wrestling business, and to the legendary Shinya Hashimoto, as they had just formed a new partnership for a company called Zero One. And uh, we were introduced, or I was introduced to them by Simon Inoki. Simon had called me and told me that these two gentlemen were coming to the U.S. to look for American talent. They were doing a tour of the entire United States to look for American talent for their new Zero One promotion. And he wanted to know if we could uh, put a little showcase together. So we jumped at the opportunity. We put a hell of a showcase together. We had 60, 70 of the guys there that day. Uh, We had everybody come in full gimmick. We had nice photography ready to hand out to uh, to Hashimoto and Nakamura. We had all the guys cut promos because they wanted that, even though it's Japanese language television they were going on. And well, we bowled them over. Man, you walked into um, one of our two training facilities in those days. If we loaded it up and had everybody prep and come in gimmick and really look the part, it was a freaking show, man. I mean, probably the physically, as, as Jim Ross once said, probably the physically most impressive group of talent in the United States at that time. So Hashimoto was blown away. Nakamura was blown away. And they told us right there, it was pretty awesome. They said, we're canceling the rest of our tour around the U.S. because we'd like to get all of our American talent exclusively from UPW. And uh, that was great news. Later, Steve Carino came into the mix and uh, brought some guys from the then current NWA. But for the first year or so, it was all uh, UPW. And after Steve came in, it was still largely UPW. So... We start booking talent and it went well. I think in the uh, the couple years plus we worked with Zero One, I probably personally made, oh, I don't know, at least 30 trips over to Japan and uh, got to do a lot of stuff, you know, as a manager. I was never highly skilled as a manager, but it's a different, um, different deal in Japan. You work, you know, a little more shoot, a little more stiff style, even as a manager. So it's more reality based and uh, I loved it. It was really fun being in that environment. Uh, what was really fun and gratifying more than anything was, you know, Hashimoto and Nakamura knew who they wanted. 
Uh, there were obvious guys they were after. Tom Howard was uh, the first choice, along with uh, Nathan Jones and John Heidenreich. Those are actually the first bookings. And this is shortly after John and Nathan had signed with WWE, who first gave us permission for them to go to Japan, later canceled it. So the first booking ended up being Tom Howard, Samoa Joe, and Keiji Sakota, uh, who was Sakata in WWE. And I was supposed to go, but it turned out that the trip coincided with my fifth wedding anniversary. So I let Zero One know that regrettably I couldn't make it. And they said, oh, no, no, we'll just buy a ticket for your wife. So I was able to bring my wife with me and Gabrielle. And this was so cool about Zero One, especially when things got started. You know, they they flew us out. There was uh, economy class, which is just was commensurate with their budget. And that's fine. But, you know, airport pickup, decent hotel, really nice hotel, actually, for the first one. So it was well funded. And at the end of the first show, they had a big party you know, big reception, celebrations, the show sold out. Uh, Tom main evented against Hashimoto, which was incredible. Um, Ryan, Sakota, KG Sakota, and Joe won the tag team titles on the first our first booking, which I thought boded well for our future there. And at this after party, they, which is fully catered and just amazing and a lot of fun, they actually got up on stage, Hashimoto and Nakamura. They asked myself and Gabrielle, my wife, to join them on stage they celebrated our new relationship and then they presented us with a cake and a giant like geisha doll it was amazing so good start there and it got better and better as time went on even though as i mentioned they knew who they wanted you know they wanted joe they wanted tom they wanted the the nathans the johns uh but they let me largely select who to bring over so it was really fun it was you know for the guys who maybe didn't make it to wwe for one reason or another we now had another outlet uh, for guys who had worked their asses off and were good guys, as importantly as anything, got to reward them with a paid trip to Japan. So that was amazing. So UPW ended up building a big name in Japan at this during this period of time. Um, everybody loved it. Tom became a legitimate star there, as did after him, Sylvester Turkai as Predator. And then uh, one of my favorite guys in the history of the industry, Televisi Masala Solo, it's a mouthful, in uh, UPW, known as Skulu, the Samoan Savage. In uh, Japan, he was, uh, oh my gosh, King Adamo. He was Adamo, King Adamo in uh, uh, Japan. He became a star there. Little Nate became something of a star there. Uh, Spanky, Brian Kendrick, as Leonardo Spanky because of his resemblance to Leonardo DiCaprio, became a star there. So all these guys are, you know, emerging. Now, this is when mixed martial arts was really going nuts in Japan. Anoki was involved with Bumbaye. Uh, Pride was going off big time. K1 was going off big time. And when we're out in the town, we kept running into these guys during our trips to Japan. These guys were rolling large because they were making a lot of money compared especially to pro wrestlers. So we start talking amongst us, mainly myself, Tom, uh, Sylvester, Nathan Jones, and Sean O'Hare, all of whom are tough guys, um, legit tough guys, not necessarily MMA schooled. But we thought, you know, this is Japan. They do have pro wrestlers crossing over. It would be really cool to, to trade on this fame you've you know got here in Japan now and do some uh, mixed martial arts stuff. And to a man, they're all really down with it. 
So I went to uh, Nakamura, Hashimoto's partner, with this idea because Zero One was very closely affiliated with Pride. And I presented it to him. And he goes, well, you know, we're not sure. We're building them as stars. You know, it, if they lose, it doesn't necessarily protect them. Um, if anything, it could expose them. And we went back and forth on that a lot, talking about, like in Japan especially, if you do what's being known as fight with honor, then you're, you're protected, win, lose, or draw. Better to win, of course. So Nakamoto warmed up to the idea. He came around, and I kept on him for months, month after month after month would bring it up because Tom and Nathan and Sylvester and Sean would often bring it up with me. Um, as anybody would, they wanted to make more money. They're very grateful, as was I, for everything we had in Zero One, for everything we had through Hashimoto, through Nakamura, through our experiences there, the friendships we formed, getting to tour small town Japan by bus, which was a beautiful experience, flying to the big cities and staying in the nice hotels there and performing in front of lots of people. Um, you know, I, I, I never considered myself anything of a, a media personality. I say that even though I'm a podcast now and God knows I'm trying my damnedest, but especially back then. And I even appeared in the newspapers and the magazines often. I would sign those big autograph cards. It was a lot of fun. And, and you know, I know I speak for Tom and Sylvester and Sean, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, and Nathan and the other guys. When I say that, we were grateful for everything we got there. So back to the story. Chasing after Nakamura to book the boys into Pride. And this went on for about half a year. And it was just going nowhere. Now, meaning that I don't think Nakamura ever asked Pride. He said he would. I, I, you know, I guess I'm saying he didn't represent accurately, but I love that guy. He's a great guy and did nothing but right by us. But I think maybe he was keeping that initial impression, which is he didn't want to risk um, wins and losses. So New Year's Eve was coming close. And that year, there were going to be three. There's four major networks in Japan for television. One does the big red and white concert every year, the highest rated TV show of the year in Japan. New Year's Eve is the big holiday there, and this show is the big show. The other three networks that year were all going prime time mixed martial arts events. So it was MMA mania in Japan. And we knew that would be, that would be the time to get these guys started. They're big names as pro wrestlers now. They all wanted a crossover. What a perfect place to debut. So chased them for that. The show is about four or five months off. In the meantime, while this is happening, I get a call from a guy I become friendly with and later we become good friends and partners with Eddie Millis from the, the legendary Shark Tank in mixed martial arts and kickboxing. And Eddie says, hey, I'm in town, or at, you should say, he said, K1 is in town from Japan. I'm with them. Um, Rick, I know you got a big, you know, a collection of big, giant, colorful, theatrical guys that are willing to fight. I don't have anybody like that. I'm here with Master Ishii, the head of K1. Do you have anybody that would fight Bob Sapp on like less than a month's notice? So I call my good friend, Stefan Gamlin, the guy who won the uh, Team Tough Man, which I talked about on a recent edition here of, uh, of the Ring in the Cage and Tall Tales both, and asked Stefan if he'd be interested. And Stefan's answer was, hell yeah. So Stefan was in Orange County. I was in L.A. He and I met up that same night. We went over to the, uh, where were we, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Hilton, I believe, where K1 would set up in a big suite on top of the hotel whenever they're in town. 
and we meet down in the lobby. We meet Eddie Millis, and for the first time ever, I meet Chad Bannon, a big, giant, theatrical guy, but just not the guy they wanted to fight Sap for some reason, and Maverick Harvey, who's a now a great friend to these days, known as the Soul Collector. So we go up to the suite. We meet Master Hishi. They love Stefan. Immediately, we get the booking done on the spot. Stefan is going to fight Bob Sapp in four weeks' time in Japan with you know, really no fight training or experience other than scrapping in the bars and on the street and throwing down at Team Tough Man and fighting on the field in the Canadian Professional League or European League and so on and so forth. So that happens. In the meantime, we're getting along famously with Ishii and Tanakawa and Daisuke uh, Teraguchi, who's the booker for K1. And we start talking wrestling. They know who all the guys are. They, they know me. They know UPW because we're pretty prominent there at this point. And they said, well, you know, if you want more guys to fight, we have a big New Year's Eve show. Like, hmm, interesting. So I go back to Nakamura the following day or two days later, whatever it was, and tell him that K1 has approached us with overtures for Tom and Nathan and Sylvester to go fight on their New Year's Eve show. And I had to go to Nakamura with this because they're affiliated with Pride and K1 is Pride's competition. And, you know, honor is a big deal in Japan. Honor is a big deal in life. Um, but particular to Japan and alliances, allegiances, you want to go through the proper channels. So I let Nakamura know that we have overtures for the three to fight on New Year's Eve in Japan for K1. And I said, we much rather would stay, want to stay with you and with Pride. Please get this done. We need to get back with K1 by the end of next week or whatever it was. I don't remember the exact dates now. In any case, I emailed and called and emailed and called Nakamura. This is and nothing. So in, in, in a move that will always haunt me for better or for worse, I picked up the phone or went to the keyboard, whatever it was. I reached back out to Daisuke Taraguchi, the booker for K1, and said, Tom Howard Greenberry in Japan, Predator Sylvester Turkai, and Nathan Jones would like to fight on their New Year's Eve show. They came back with offers. We did a quick negotiation back and forth. We got some very, very good money, um, a significant raise over their initial offer. So I felt it was comfortable to ask for certain things. I had done my research. Um, when you come back with a larger ask, you still want it to be the right number for both the buyer and for the talent because you want everybody to be happy. You don't want anybody to feel taken advantage of. And we, we got to those numbers still before we closed the deal. I went back to Nakamura one more time and said, guys, please, we're with you. You're with Pride. Let's get it done. Silence. So we went ahead and we booked the deal. Uh, Nathan, it turned out, for one reason or another, I think it was a visa issue, could not go for this fight. Um, Tom and Sylvester both ended up making their debuts on the K1 New Year's Eve show uh, The same, against head-to-head -head competition from Inoki Bumbaye and from Pride on another station. Uh, our show, can't say our show, because it feels like that when you're part of stuff going on in Japan. You quickly become family. I got as close with the K1 people as I was with the Zero One people, the Hashimoto Nakamura camp, until this moment. Because what happens now, and rightfully so, I suppose, is Nakamura and especially Hashimoto are pissed. Uh, because in Japan, part of the honor deal is, you know, loyalty without question. Um, but 
I had felt, as did Tom and Sylvester and Nathan when he was involved, because they all loved Hashimoto and Nakamura as well. We felt like we did the right thing. We gave uh, K1, or should I say Pride, through Zero One, every opportunity to have Green Beret, to have Predator, um, and in turn, you know, get what Predator and Green Beret and Nathan wanted in terms of earnings for their work in Japan. So Hashimoto was pissed. <laughs> That's what happens. And all of a sudden, it's just silence. All our bookings with Zero One cease. And I'm like, wow, you know, did I make a miscalculation here? It was the thing I was most sad about is some of the guys, you know, lower card guys that we're able to bring now didn't have a place to go. You know, Tom, Nathan, Sylvester, the money was so big with K1 that even though it's legit fighting now, <laughs> you take a beating in Japanese style wrestling. Um, it's only one fight. You train for it differently, of course. You fly to Japan once, you're back. Maybe you go again three months later. So it actually gave them a break in some regards. They were happy with it. The money they make for the one fight was much greater than they would have made in two, three, four, five months of missed bookings for, for pro wrestling. So the financial side was, was okay. Um, but it was a shame and kind of sad, actually, we weren't going back and forth to Japan any longer. So, and I'm not like I wasn't trying to get a hold of them because I was. We loved that relationship. We wanted to keep it. Um, didn't really need to explain to them what happened because they knew as far as the K1 booking goes. So, a couple months of radio silence, and then I hear from Nakamura. And Nakamura says, we would like you guys to come over. And Rick, we definitely want you on this trip. You have to be on this trip. Uh, and we want you to pick six guys from UPW that have never been to Japan before to wrestle. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. He goes, yes, we want to get some new stars over, and we have a gimmick. We're going to call this the Cash Money Tour. Because, Rick, as you know, Hashimoto, Hashimoto and myself, this is Nakamura, we have expressed our displeasure to the media about what happened with K1. They know about it. It's taken on a life of its own. We want to bring you guys over like as a feud where through the entire week, it's only UPW guys against Zero One guys. Because in the past, they would mix a booking. Uh, some of our guys would go against our own. Some of the Zero One guys would go against their own. This tour was UPW versus Zero One, Cash Cash Honor. That's what the name of the tour, UPW versus Zero One, Cash Honor. So we would keep, or the media would keep, a win-loss tally through every show. And then the way it was booked, it would be a tie at the into the very end, the very last night, up to the last match. It would be tied. And then it would be for, for the honor and the money, it was going to be Nakamura, who's not a worker. He's a five foot eight inch, 170 pound, uh, nicely dressed businessman against me. And I was going to do the honors for Nakamura. He would pin me. They would extract their revenge and zero one would have regained their honor. We were down for it. I thought it sounded great. was completely ready to go. And we went. So we're touring Japan, having a great time. Um, I brought uh, Shane Roberts, Makoa, the Hawaiian warrior. I was able to select the guys, uh, Lamar Tinnan, Sabbath, uh, two very physical guys, Brian Fleming, who's Alcatraz, and Oliver John, um, two, again, very good guys, two, two most experienced guys on the tour, also very physical, and two thinner guys who were great workers, Tommy Wilson, who later became a star there as the Bean Sprout, and, uh, and Tony Stradlin, hell of a worker. So the six of us go. 
And, you know, we're there, we're having a great time, we're being treated well, except Hashimoto will not say a word to me the entire tour. Kind of cold shoulders me, turns his back, I'm like, it's okay. You know, I'm going to do the honors for Nakamura at the end, all will be well, and hopefully business and friendships resume as, uh, as they were in the past. Anyway, we do hear rumblings that, you know, they're still upset and, you know, watch out. We don't know what that means, watch out. Um, one of the guys, Shane McCullough, the warrior, Hawaiian warrior, constantly said, Rick, I think they're after us. I think they're going to get us. And we put a little edge on the tour, but that's all right. It was all cool. And, you know, they, we were treated well and they were safe. So I remember the second to last show. We were in some small middle of nowhere town which was the beauty of touring Japan, these beautiful tours. We got to see that country. Oh my God, it was an amazing experience that I would I'll never be able to replicate. And I'm so grateful I got to have that experience. So the second to last tour, they say, Rick, we want you to interfere. Hashimoto was main eventing, I think against Alcatraz. And Rick, we want you to interfere. We want you to throw uh, salt into Hashimoto's eyes. Alcatraz is gonna pin him. And then afterwards, we want you to spit on Hashimoto. Then we want you to leave and go cut a promo in English about the match the following night, your match. I said, great, I'm on board, absolutely. So we do the salt, um, Alcatraz gets the win. I spit on Hashimoto, which I felt awful about. <laughs> they, they wanted it done that way. And then I go outside and I remember cutting probably the only good promo I've ever cut in my entire life, because I am not a promo guy about my match with Yoshiyuki, that's Nakamura. I kept referring to him as Yoshiyuki, which is quite the insult in Japan to refer by a person by their last name, or by their first name, as opposed to Nakamura-san, which would be the proper way to do it. And I talk about what I, you know, normally the art of promos, as we used to teach them, and I did a lot of the teaching myself, is you want to build your opponent up. Because if you just go saying how you're going to kill your opponent, who wants to see the match? But the heat was built in such a way and the stakes were, were built in such a way that it was okay to do a promo in a very different style. So I remember pounding the hell out of this metal or tin retaining wall outside of the back of the uh, building where Al Alcatraz had beaten Hashimoto and I pounded on it till my knuckles were actually bloody and blood was dripping down talking about how this is how I was going to kill Nakamura. Anyway, so... Felt like I did my job. They all patted me on the back. Good job, Rick. Good job, Rick. And good job, everybody. Let's go out to dinner. We have a celebration, a sponsor celebration. Oh, boy. Those are always fun. Sponsor celebration means you're going to be up all night drinking with a bunch of Japanese, which is great. The greatest hosts in the world. But it's really not the best for rest and for health. And although whatever, it's part of the experience. So we get on the bus, the 01 bus go for a long drive, and we end up at the amazing restaurant I'll never forget. It's a three-story pagoda, quite literally in the middle of nowhere. And we are brought up to the top floor. There's this incredible spread, and the, the sushi and, and the sake just flows freely. It was a great, great night. As always here at Talking Talk, we have Pitbull Interference. That's Dennis letting me know that somebody is here, I believe. But in any case, it's about 2 a.m. now, and I'm sitting in between these two, the two hosts. And they had, you know, fairly passable English. They certainly spoke English a lot better than I spoke Japanese, despite going to the Berlitz course and, and whatnot. 
And they said, Rick, it's probably 2 a.m. now, and we're, I, I want to say, slightly inebriated, but probably hammered would be a much better way to say it. They said, Rick, are you afraid for the match tomorrow night? I said, afraid for the match? What do you mean? Yes. Um, are you afraid of uh, Hashimoto? And I say, well, yeah, of course I'm afraid of Hashimoto. <laughs> but what, why are you asking? They say, oh, for your match. And I said, all right, no, no, guys, I go, I'm wrestling fighting is the way you say it to the sponsors because it, it's very kayfabe there. Um, no, I say, I'm fighting um, Nakamura tomorrow night. And no, I'm most definitely not afraid of Nakamura. Um, and they say, oh, no, 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 no. You're fighting um, Hashimoto. I'm like, guys, no, I'm fighting Nakamura. They go, oh, look, and they hold up this newspaper and there's a giant photo on one side of me like this with my UPW stuff on. And the other side is Hashimoto, like side by side, just looking pissed. And I'm looking at this going, well, what does it say? They go, it talks of, because it's all in kanji, of course, the Japanese alphabet. Um, they say, oh, it's for your fight tomorrow night with Hashimoto. Wow. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I find out, I forgot who I asked, but I found out that the final match on the zero on the zero one versus UPW cash honor tour for all the marbles is not me versus five foot eight inch, 160 pound, nicely dressed suit wearing Yoshiyuki Nakamura. My match is against the legendary 300 pound could kick your legs into pieces. Shino Hashimoto, who will not speak a word to me, speak a word to me in the entire tour and who just looks pissed. Wow. Okay. So anyway, final final night is at Korokan Hall. Korokan Hall is very famous. It's legendary in Japan. It's kind of like when you go to Japan and you're in the pro wrestling or mixed martial arts business, how you have to go to Rivera Steakhouse. Well, the other place you have to go is Korokan Hall. It's just anybody who's any, everybody who's anybody in the history of MMA and pro wrestling and performed in that building. So we're there and it's amazing. You walk up the stairwells. And there's one wall and it's multi floors that sign. So, you know, all the wrestlers, all the fighters have signed it. They got the zero one guys saying, Oh, Rick, now you sign the wall. I'm like, Okay, cool. I mean, I always felt like it wasn't my place to do it. They insisted. I'm like, This is really cool. So, I'm kind of getting caught up in it. So, I go looking for Hashimoto and Otani and Tanaka saying, Oh, he's busy. And I said, Well, but I need to talk to him uh, about the match. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. You guys will work out the match in the ring. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I go, thinking, this guy's going to kill me. He's pissed. This is a way to, to get it back. And the match is as planned. We split evenly that night between UPW or zero, and Zero One. The, the tally for the entire tour is posted. And it comes to the main event of the tour. I actually am thinking on one hand, I'm main eventing Cork and Hall. This is in honor, I never thought I would have in my life. On the other, I'm like, I'm across from Hashimoto, who I think is legitimately pissed, who will not talk with me. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier a guy named Chad Bannon, uh, one of the great theatrical looking guys I met that night in uh, the hotel in Beverly Hills with, with Eddie Millis the night we first met K1. I remember being on a plane coming back from Japan with Chad, and he hadn't done a fight, he had done a pro wrestling match, and it was warped. And somebody just kicked the shit out of his legs. And on the plane on the way back, his leg started to swell. I mean, it was truly frightening. 
we all thought it was going to burst and hemorrhage right on the spot. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anybody in such agony. And I'm thinking that on one hand, I think I look back to the old Roddy Piper under the giant matches. If you remember them, Roddy just used to charge Andre and just go nuts on him, swinging for the hills. And and, and I remember talking with Andre with the Andre with uh, Roddy about those later. He's like, yeah, Andre loved that. He goes, just fly at me, hit me as hard as you can, we'll work it out. So on one hand, I'm thinking that we do that. Um, on the other hand, because <laughs> I'm thinking if I want to maintain honor. I, I charge them and I just go for it and let the chips fall where they may, you know, and plus I, you know, did and do consider myself something of a fighter. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I remember seeing Chad's legs. I remember stories and, you know, many stories we all know of, of guys with the femurs broken in half. And I, I have to say that when I stood across the ring from Hashimoto, we have pit bulls and we have telephones, people, my apologies. And, uh, that's rude and obnoxious, right when we're getting to the end of the story as well. Oh, our previous guest on Talking Tough, the miraculous and amazing Jason Flat, looked it up on www.talking-tough.com. I'll keep promoing until the phone stops ringing. That was high tech. Apologies, folks. So I've got this photo that I still have from a wrestling magazine in Japan of me standing across the ring from Hashimoto. And I'm in a fighting stance. I've got my hands taped. I've got the UPW Mutai shorts on. Bit of a contradiction in terms. Ultimate pro wrestling Mutai shorts, but they're pretty cool. You can see them in all the photographs and on the tape for the match. And it's a great thing to have. The reason when I say match, I go like this, is we worked out in the dressing room. My guys, they got on me and they said, we think he's going to shoot on you. So you're probably going to get your legs broken. Um, you want to take that risk, that's on you. We think you should just go out there, face off, have all of us jump in and take the DQ. And that's what we did. So they seemed cool with it after that. All of our bookings resumed. We were back in business. But I still look at that to this day going, did I make the wrong call? A big part of me regrets that I just didn't charge him and take my lumps. Uh, so the story Hashimoto will kill me. I don't say he was literally had that intent in mind. It could have been pretty bad. Um, I wish I had gone at him now. He would have beat my ass. I know that. Um, would it be a better story to tell than I think gang jumping him and taking the DQ? But at the end of the day, the entire story, the entire experience was one that I know I'll never get to have again in my lifetime. And uh, in uh, Hashimoto, up in the heavens, I wish you well, my friend, dearly departed. Yoshiyuki Nakamura, we're friends on Facebook these days. I know your English has gotten much, much better. Again, way better than my Japanese ever will be. If you happen to hear this and you understand it, appreciation to you, my friend, for an amazing experience. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. 
Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.